Welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be chatting with Ashok Hariharan, founder and CEO of IDFi. IDFi builds technology solutions to help companies accurately identify people, run background checks, conduct KYC, mitigate lending risks, and onboard associates. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Stacey. Great. Doing great. Good. How's your day been so far? Good. Uh, it's uh, it's pleasant here. So, yeah. Nice. We're heading into December. What does this time of year look like for you? From a weather perspective, it's uh, it's about, about 22, 23 degrees in Bombay. Uh, and uh, usually from a business perspective, it's, uh, it's December, so it's a lot of holidays. So I think people are looking forward to that. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, before we dive any deeper, it'd be just great to learn more about your career journey, but then essentially what led you to build the business? Maybe I'll go back uh, to my childhood uh, because Perfect. some of some of those uh, some of those elements actually uh, joined the dots kind of thing to get me where I am. Um, we moved around quite a bit as a uh, when I was uh, uh, young uh, until uh, uh, until maybe I was to, you know uh, twenty five odd. We moved around quite a bit. Um, brought up in uh, brought up in India for the first twelve years uh, across cities, and then went on to uh, my. Parents moved to Curaçao. Uh, it's off the coast of Venezuela, a small little Caribbean island. I had a great childhood. Um, couldn't, have, couldn't have experienced something that different than what India was at that time. Um, and uh, so a lot of, lot of it is about, about cultural assimilation and how different cultures sort of interact with each other. And that kind of got me um, my perspectives around how people behave, how, how to motivate people and things like that. So those, those are some of, some of the lessons I learned um, early in my childhood. Um, and then went on to do my uh, engineering from uh, Penn State in the U.S., uh, came back to India in 2003, worked here for a couple of years, and uh, went on to do my MBA, um, then, then moved to London, uh, worked in, at BT in, in the strategy team there. And uh, then came back to India to start my company, right? Um, so the reason I'm saying joining the dots is is a lot of what what we are as as people is actually what what we experience from our childhood, from our uh, adolescent years, as well as college, etc. Um, and like coming from like something like a Curaçao, where my graduating class was literally twelve, pe- eighteen people, uh, to going to Penn State, which has sixty thousand people, was a big change, right? And so being able to adapt became a pretty, uh, pretty core to my philosophy. Being able to deal with change uh, and de- being able to deal with ambiguity, I think that's something which uh, I learned the hard way, if you may. And uh, so a lot of a lot of that sort of. Is around how how we built IDFI as well because we have, we have dealt with a lot of change over the last ten years in the way people interact, etc. Um, in terms of IDFI itself, uh, the idea behind IDFI was that virtual transactions are increasing, and you have to remember this is two thousand eleven. Um, yeah, um, a lot of this, a lot of what we see today didn't exist. Uh, right or or it was early days for Uber, uh, uh, Ola in India, Airbnb. So a lot of what we take for granted today was not what we took for granted in 2011. Right. Um, so, but but I did see a trend that virtual transactions will increase, and as virtual transactions increase, I, I kind of was looking for how do you deal with risk and fraud, and mm. that's sort of how how um, the genesis of IDFI uh, came about. Right, and and that's sort of where. 
um, we started to think about what does fraud mean, uh, especially in a country like India. It's 1.3 billion people. Um, there, there is lack of data. There is, uh, there are so many different cultures, uh, so many different ways of doing things, and each of those ha- uh, lends itself to fraud in multiple different ways. So it was interesting uh, to think about fraud in, in such a fundamental perspective uh, in 2011. Yeah, we chatted briefly about the stigma of fraud being highly prevalent in India. And you had some really interesting comments on that. Do you mind sharing? Yeah. um, So I I think uh, fraud in India, uh, it's it's pretty much like everywhere else. I would say there is there isn't. uh, In fact, uh, if you look at uh, uh, look at fraud, like, you know, let's say credit card, uh, credit card fraud, etc. doesn't really exist in India. Right. Um, It's it's uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, I think, sensationalization of a couple of (laughs) couple of anecdotes, which is probably what what led uh, leads the rest of the world to think that there's a lot of fraud in India, which which is the same belief I came in here with. Right. Fraud in India has a very different sense in the sense that. uh, it's it's related to very kind of simplistic fraud rather than very complicated fraud. It's it's not. It's more around um, uh, non tech oriented fraud. There, there is hardly any fraud where uh, tech is involved and people are hacking uh, 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 accounts, etc. It's mostly social engineering fraud, right? Um, so that's sort of how how India sort of behaves. Now, what does that mean is, uh, does identity theft happen? It does, uh, just like anywhere else. Um, but it is not en masse, like I would expect, like, a, a, you know, it happening in the Western world where technology yeah. is used to defraud people, right? Uh, here, technology isn't used. Uh, it's actually human driven, right? Very, very interesting. Why do you think that stigma lies? A lot of it is uh, what sells, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, people, people the like media, to. I think Hollywood. the media, yeah, and people like to. Uh, you know, I do feel there is a sense of um, trying to uh, trying to sensationalize the fact that people who are different uh, from us probably you you want to position that there is there is either fraud or there is these people behave differently, and these these are things which I've seen while well, I was in the US as well, right? Um, I, I remember when I uh, when I when I moved in 1996 to the U.S. The question that was asked was, uh, "Do uh, do you have uh, you know do you have elephants at home?" In India? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I used to say that, "Yeah, yeah, we, we take uh, we do elephant pulling, and uh, you know, and because obviously elephants use too much air, so we can only use one elephant uh, per per household. So, so you know, <laughs> things like that, right? So, so, so there is this sense that." Ignorance, it, it is, yeah. uh, ignorance, one. And number two, you do sensationalize a bit, right? Um, uh, the story of snake charmers in India, these things are not real. Obviously, India has has changed since then, and the perception of India has changed as well. But in 1996, it was a lot different than what it is today. I also lived in the US, and I remember coming to visit back home to South Africa and my family and I, we went on a safari. So there was a ton of like lions, 
as well, elephants, giraffes, um, and the safari yeah. was gorgeous. It had like giraffes, like you could see them out of your bathroom window. And yeah. I remember taking a picture and being like, oh, my pet Freddy outside my window saying <laughs> hi. And social media went wild. They're like, you have such beautiful pets. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a joke. And the fact that people like educated people were feeding yeah. into this was hilarious. But I understand where you're coming from. I want to touch on your business yeah. and just how you've been able to cultivate such an amazing culture. And I know this is really important to you and you made sure to protect it. Being able to make mistakes and celebrate mistakes is a massive theme. How do you encourage this and build this into the culture? And the reason I ask this is because I think many businesses want to implement this, but how? So, so a lot of lot of it starts with uh, with the org design, right? So, one of the things that at IDFI that we have done really well is around decentralization of decisioning. So, the way we structure the organization is there are individual pods which have complete freedom to decide what they want. Um, they literally can, uh, you know. Uh, Tell us to go f off uh, in, in 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 the sense that if, if I had an opinion and, and their opinion actually matters more than uh, yeah, the, yeah. what you would call the hippos in the room, uh, I think that's the term that people use these days. Is the hippo in the room shouldn't be the guy uh, the guy <laughs> deciding? Um, yeah. Because lot, the way I look at it is uh, we are as leaders we are far removed from reality at, at a lot of times, especially ground reality. So the people on the ground should be able to make decisions uh, uh, in in a more holistic manner and and and, and with with the freedom to make those decisions, right? Uh, having said that, you also have to kind of make sure that they are not deviating from core strategies. So we do have guardrails uh, that we put, saying that beyond these, uh, you cannot go beyond these guardrails, but within the guardrails, everything is game, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so that is one. As a structure, we, we do make decisioning more decentralized. Second, um, in, in terms of uh, mistakes is, is about how, how in, in, in our reviews and in our, um, in our, uh, in our year-end uh, appraisal cycles, we, we do ask about uh, what is the amount of experimentation that a person that did? Okay. And there is there is actually a, a whole almost twenty percent, uh, twenty to thirty percent, depending on the team uh, of their um, their appraisal cycle is actually on experimentation and wow. and wow. being able to be and experimentation means obviously being able to do make those mistakes. Yeah. Um, and what what do these experiments mean? Is is have you tried something new? Have you built new products? Um, have you uh, have have you looked at customer service in a different way? So we are looking at uh, looking at people making those decisions and and moving forward. Now, um, what does that mean in terms of the way we react? Uh, because obviously uh, we can put structures around this, but then also around reaction from leadership, right? Around oh, if there's a mistake, are, how are we? Uh, is there a reprimand? You know, do you reprimand a person or do you say, hey, great, great yeah. job? Make a yeah. mistake. Let's move on. Let's learn from it and and take it on. So so what we do is we have a lot of re- retrospectives, um, almost uh, on a uh, you know in, in a in a uh, in on the tech side we call it a sprint. Every sprint has a retrospective around what 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 went wrong, what went right, what are the learnings we take from there. Um, in fact, uh, 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 I, I would take an example of our CTO who's just brilliant at this. Right, what he does at the end of the year is uh, is every single person in his team has to write a seven-page note around what he has learned, 
what he has tried wow. new, uh, wow. what, what, what are the new, uh, uh, new technologies they've learned. And that is used as, uh, for, for his appraisal, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think on the technology side, we've actually taken it almost 10x forward than other teams, but we are moving in that direction across teams. But, but our CTO is just amazing at how, how he looks at learning as the core of what his team does. What? we're seeing in the market right now is that candidates are really picky with where they want to work and your culture is more important than ever and we're seeing even businesses with like big names or businesses you think many people would want to work for is that we all know and we hear through the grapevine what it's like to work there and I think that you've done a really really great job I know that you've had like close to a hundred percent retention rate within your first two years how do you think that you achieve that because it's something that I know many businesses are struggling with Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast, which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. Yeah, so I think uh, the first thing, obviously, is it goes back to what we, uh, what I said earlier, is decentralization of decisions. Um, the more you empower people at the next layer, the more they are going to feel uh, like they they want to be in that company, right? Um, uh, we are obviously never going to be able to compete with the the fangs of the world uh, in terms of salaries and stuff. But what we can compete on is is how much freedom we give and how much. Uh, uh, how much they can grow within uh, within ID5. So every year uh, we we actually have uh, we actually measure what is the learning that our people go through, and we are uh, we we do talk to them about hey these are the gaps that we see here's how here's what we want to see next year right. So they do see that there is there is growth in the org. I think that is one. Second, I feel a lot a lot of this is related to sharing wealth as well. Uh, like for example. A lot of our second layer does have equity. A lot of the people at IDFI do have equity in the company. And we have apportioned a significant portion of our uh, equity for ESOPs. Um, I think a lot of companies get that wrong, uh, especially startups where only the leadership team uh, has significant amount of shares. So when, when, when a company goes public or gets bought out, rest of the art doesn't make enough, right? And I think here they do see that, hey, you know, we will make a lot of money when when this company uh, does go IPO or, or gets bought out, right? And that's that's important, I feel. And the third one, I think, is uh, is just, uh, you know, if you, if you look back at your own days, if you ask, if I ask you, what is the best time of your life that you ever had? Um, what would that be, Stacey? The best time of my life? In the, yeah. in the business? In, no, in, in life, like in general, from let's say, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, primary school, middle school, uh, college. I think uh, university for sure. I was, I was really right? privileged enough to travel a lot. And yeah, I loved it. Exactly. Right. Most people say university. Yeah. So what you want to, want to also set up is a collegiate environment, which kind of seems like university. What did you get at the university? You had this ability to kind of uh, explore and find 
find out about different kinds of people, like uh, there's diversity in a, in a university, which which is required. So what we are trying to do at IDFI is, is create that diversity, create a very similar environment of environment of learning, environment exploration, environment and experimentation, environment with diversity. And and I think that is kind of core to IDFI philosophy. And a lot of, lot of our people stick around because they find it like college. Yeah. 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 No, I, 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 I see what you're saying. I think that it's, you see that there's certain, even if you look at the university or, or college landscape is that there are certain universities people get attracted to and they have in essence created a culture. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. I know that you yeah. also are very critical in your interview process and onboarding process. Yeah. Um, yeah. You screen quite heavily for culture. Again, yeah. I think that it's so tough. I think that people can fake answers. Um, yeah. What have you done to be able to screen for culture? Uh, I want to just step back to one more thing, uh, maybe related sure. to culture, which I think uh, uh, I want to just highlight. Sure. One of the things with the university also is shared memories, uh, shared symbols, uh, shared uh, events, like you know, shared things that you do together, right? If you look at shared, like a lot of lot of what universities is, like if I went to Penn State, it was about football. Uh, we 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 kind of uh, came together for football. We came together for uh, the knitting lion, the symbol of of the lion. We, you know, and and we we went to events together, and that that made us closer, right? So some of some of what we are trying to do is also about building those those memories, culture, the, you know, shared. Uh, shared stories, shared symbols. So these are things which we focus on as well. Now, going to uh, going to uh, the part about recruitment, uh, we do spend a lot of time uh, on recruiting a single person, right? For example, in today today's world, a lot of people, a lot of companies just do a couple of interviews and then they make an offer. I, I think it's extremely difficult to judge a person's fit in a culture if you're not going to spend time across, uh, you know, spend time with them. Uh, What does that mean is more than one person has to interview. Number one, Uh, Mm. people have to interview from across, uh, across areas. So let's say there's a tech interview going on. We do have people from product interviewing the same person. We have have people from marketing interviewing the same person. And and that kind of gives um, two things that I feel it, it allows us to do is one is judge the person on the merit of whether he's a good fit to the culture. Second is it, it gives the person a great feeling for the company itself and what kind of people work in the company. I think it's super important. And I don't uh, feel that in today's world, companies are doing justice uh, by doing this these uh, remote interviews, video-based interviews. We do bring people in. We okay. physically meet a person before we we make an offer, um, even if it is if it is our job in 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 let's say in Bangalore or Delhi, we we, we do fly them into Bombay to meet the oh, team. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and, and I think that's important. And they spend time in the office. They they do walk around and and get a sense of different teams. Um, and that usually, if, uh, you know, with with that kind of um, high touch model, uh, obviously it's difficult to do mass interviews. Uh, so we do, uh, we selectively interview, obviously. Uh, and that, that means we just can't do 100 interviews, right? We would have to do only like 10, 15 interviews to get a person. But that's something which we focus on heavily. Do you require everyone to come into the office every day of the week? Yeah, yes, we do. Okay. 
I've got a question for you. So yeah. we ran a talent workshop a couple of weeks ago and there yeah. was this debate that occurred um, amongst yeah. the audience members. And it was just really interesting to hear everyone's different perspectives on whether yeah. remote working is better or coming into the office. And I think one of the big questions that was brought up was that you're missing out on a big talent pool of people that are brilliant but really need that flexibility or for for various different reasons or maybe even just feel like they're more efficient at home yeah what is what is your opinion on that so um so uh, so let's uh maybe i'll go back two years uh we had very similar thoughts as well that like let's give flexibility and and then um, when covid happened it was a great way to experiment with that right uh, what we realized was uh, collaboration suffers uh, significantly, um, and learning uh, uh, learning from different people kind of suffers as well. Like if you think about college again, the best part of our college was to meet people every day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and I I just feel like you know human beings are not supposed to be behind screens and and talking behind screens. Imagine if I ha- if I have to fix something, I can just go tap a person's shoulder and say, hey, can you? Uh, Hey, can you help me with this? But imagine now if you have to do that same thing online, you have to set up a meeting, you have to send a Slack (laughs) message, the guy might look at it, might not look at it. It just seems very, very uh, uh, sort of, uh, it creates a sense of of distance, number one. Number two, there's no sense of belonging, I feel, right? Mm. Um, The whole aspect of how, how can you have a shared memory remotely? How can you have a shared story remotely, right? Um, that's one one aspect of it. Second, I feel is uh, something more related to younger folks, uh, especially fresh out of college. Um, you know, there's a lot of learning that I did I, I had because I went to office and learned from my peers. Some of that learning is not about co- how do I code better. It is actually about how do I mingle, how do I uh, work in social environments, and and you develop as a human being over a period of time. I kind of feel you miss out on all of those pluses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when, when, when you start to look at, hey, what is my deliverable? Because a deliverable, you might do a great job, but what about everything else? Okay. Um, and that's sort of where we came from. Um, and, I, and, and what we also realize is coming out of COVID, we, when we were back in the office, we were able to get far more work done, number one. And number two, uh, our people at IDFI also kind of gave us feedback that uh, mental health was far better when they came to office than when they were sitting at home. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, and I think that kind of makes sense also, right? Because when you're at home, uh, where work ends and where home begins kind of, kind of gets intermingled and you never mm. step out of one to the other. It's, it's kind of all over the place. So you don't, don't have a way to switch off and switch on um in either place right and i feel maybe that's where it's coming from i I, you know Mm -hmm. i think the jury is out like in the sense that i don't know the right answer to this but it didn't work for us maybe there are companies who did it better than us but it didn't work for us i don't think it's necessarily companies that did it better than you what the conclusion we that was drawn from the conversation was that there are certain people that are going to be attracted to a business like yours and they're going to be yeah. the right people for your business. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that you've got to test it out and see what works really yeah. well for you. Yeah. I know that our company, we're we're all in the same country. We're in different cities. Yeah. Um, we meet every single quarter, go away for like a weekend to a week together. We, we yeah. all fly in a couple times a quarter. We spend a lot of time together. We know yeah. each other on a personal level. So I think there is a way for you to create culture while still having people be more flexible, working from home. Um, sometimes I think hybrid works really well. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, whatever is going to be the best yeah. for you, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things which we realized is uh, because we work on high, uh, in a highly collaborative environment in the sense mm. that we are, we are building completely uh, new things. Uh, let, okay, let me step back, step back a bit. Let's say there's an individual contributor role. I think it works beautifully if you're sitting at home, right? That's you'll get far more work done. But if you're if you're collaborating and you're you you a lot of it is discussions around around what to build, what 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 kind of new new stuff that we have to get out, then you you have to kind of bring it bring it to a single like sort of bring everybody together and have that discussion. Um, the the answer might be in hybrid, right? Uh, and and we we do have. People they do work sometimes from work from home, but like I don't, we have not made it an official policy. But it it happens at times, and and we are flexible in the sense that hey, if somebody has an emergency at home, work from home, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But but okay. but but for officially, we are we are a work from office company. Got you. The last question I have for you, and I think that this is just a really important one to go through. You never launch a product without finalizing the customer success journey. And it's not just about the front end, but really about the customer. And this is not the case for every business. How did you do this? And what advice do you have for businesses that don't have this set? So, um, so when we, uh, when we, well, we experimented with this as well, right? Uh, Most uh, uh, product companies will generally look at UI UX and then um, and then launch something in beta. Um, we work in a enterprise. Uh, we are we are an enter- uh, large enterprise product, right? Like we we sell to large enterprises. We have a harder time launching something and testing it out um, uh, on live uh, than than let's say uh, uh, Google does, right? Google can be on beta for three years and it doesn't matter because they get feedback. Yeah, for us, yeah. uh, we cannot launch something which is uh, which is uh, what I would call half baked. Uh, so what we did, uh, and 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 I think it only worked. Maybe it's it's very unique to us, and maybe it's very unique to companies which work in similar spaces to us. Is that when you launch a product, uh, the way we look at it is uh, we look at the customer experience end to end. What does that mean? It means we we have a GTM plan uh, done. We have the pricing plan done. We we launch. Uh, we have the launch plan done. We do the marketing plan done. Then we look at um, look at the product the UI UX. Obviously, that that's usual. Then we also look at what is early life uh, um, experience of the customer. We we kind of design that. We design the uh, uh, support experience. Uh, upfront, um, so that if things go wrong, how, how, what kind of uh, uh, what kind of responses do our people get? Wow. We actually go through the training process for everyone uh, during launch, so that people who are uh, frontline know exactly what they're selling. Number one, number two, exactly what they're supporting. Um, so this is actually designed by our product team, right? Wow. All of this. It's, it's all designed uh, by your product team. Yeah, product team. So wow, the, wow, wow. when we look at product, it's actually end-to-end customer experience, not just mm. how the product looks and feels. Um, so that's so we do have customer success team within product, uh, and we said we thought that's the right way to do this because 
uh, product has that holistic view around yeah. how to how to launch. So interesting. Yeah, uh, but this also goes back to uh, goes back to decentralization decision. If you, if you think about it, is that product lead for that particular product is handling everything, right? This is sort of how we are enabling the leaders to uh, yeah. to act like CEOs. So yeah. it's not like he ha- he has to worry. Uh, so when he launches, he doesn't have to work, work with a service and support team to say, hey, how are you? Yeah, hey, here's a product and you guys have to design the support experience. Mm. He designs it. Uh, it's his responsibility, right? Wow. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I, a lot I'm thinking about um, and a lot I want to to just digest over. But thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Stacey. Great talking to you. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you if they have any questions? Um, you can uh, uh, look up our LinkedIn profile. Uh, we, we do have a Facebook profile as well. But you can, if, if you want to email me, it's ashok at idify.com. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.